gosh, humans were so flawed. And that's why faith came, whether you believe in God or not. Do you think that people are inherently good or inherently bad? Oh gosh, inherently good. I genuinely start people at a 10 and then their behavior or whatever right. <laughs> will knock themselves. Like people are at, are at a five. I know people who are like straight up five now for me. Dude, that seems generous. I know some ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe one or two here and there. Me as an American Muslim, I'm constantly explaining what's a Muslim? What do Muslims believe? What is Islam? What does the Muslim faith believe happens after death? There is the same concept similar in Christianity and Judaism about heaven and not heaven. <laughs> so, that's what Vegas is for. <laughs> Show yeah. up there and you're like, I don't know any, I have no moral compass. Yeah, it's like a Faraday cage for God. He can't see inside. Yeah, you go. You're fine. You're fine behind all of that. <laughs> all those neon lights. Today, we're talking with my longtime friend and colleague, Valentina. She's both a philanthropist and a creator. She is the managing director at Investors Philanthropic, a 501c3 donor advised fund. She produces the Joy of Giving video series, and she created the Dance Bar Fitness Program at my very first business. I've known Val since 2011, and she's always exuded generosity and creativity. We've shared countless thoughtful conversations over the years, and I'm grateful that we had the opportunity to turn the microphones on and record this one. In this episode, we talk about today's evolving opinions on religion, finding your own path, and the nitty gritty of parenting. Let's do it. You ready to do it? Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. Okay, let's do it. Valentina, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me. This is amazing. I love that you're doing this. Okay, so where are we right now? We're at the Tennis and Pickleball Club in Newport Beach, and it's pretty much my third home now. Mm -hmm. You know, my third home used to be our studio, but now it's here. So you and your husband, Sean, have been uh, running this club for how long now? Nine years. Nine years. Yeah, 10, I think, but I think nine is pretty accurate. Okay. So, by the way, when people hear there are going to be authentic tennis sounds, there are people grunting and... Yeah, so there's tennis happening right now. A lot of those folks are um, like homeschool kids that are getting their three or four hours of tennis in because we have a lot of champions from here. We produce a lot of champions that go on to national titles in the junior division and stuff. Mm. So it's a really neat place. But besides that, there's pickleball now that's taken off. You guys, when you started, it was just tennis. Just tennis. When did you start doing pickleball? 2020. What is pickleball? It's like a a wiffle ball, I want to say, a uh -huh. ball that's plastic and hard with holes in it, okay. small paddles, and it's almost like a glorified ping pong meets tennis. Okay. And people love it because it's accessible to so many different athletic abilities, age ranges, I mean, families play it together. And I think what happened during COVID was folks were gathering in their cul-de-sacs just to get out and recreate. Mm -hmm. And then we were approached by the community to say, hey, could you please convert couple of your courts for us to come and play like legit pickleball right and at the time my husband had no idea really what it was and it sounded silly and you know he's such a tennis purist right. that he was like no 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 like having tennis real estate is a big deal because as it is people want to shut down tennis courts and do like massive apartment buildings so he's like no I'm not gonna give up tennis courts but then enough interest came from the community and it was COVID and it was just a good thing to do for the community to bring people out and feel like positive again. And so much mental health totally. went into the crisis for COVID. It was just such a bad time overall for people that using your space to help with people's mental health, we just decided, yeah, let's go for it. And now 
we're no, known now more so for pickleball. I mean, if, I think tennis too, but really we've, we were put on the map now because of pickleball. And there's a, you guys are like one of the largest pickleball clubs in California or something? The country? What's the deal? What's the, what's the headline? So that would be an episode for Sean, definitely, because he'll have the full spiel for you. But for the longest time, we were the, well, we were the very first private pickleball club in the nation. Hmm maybe even in the world because it's an American sport. So, right. uh, so yeah, first private pickleball club that happened during COVID and it was the largest. And I think Florida and Texas and all them caught on. are have caught on and yeah. it's now become, you know, it's the fastest growing sport. So people want to be a part of it. And I'm happy about that because it's, it's really a unifier. Mm. It's one of those sports that just unifies. It brings people of all social classes together. You know, you know, tennis and golf, et cetera. They're kind of like a, country club bougie yeah it's not that accessible always and it's hard to be good at golf it's hard to be good at tennis oh yeah it takes a lot of practice skill discipline it's mm -hmm. a solo sport mm -hmm. it's not that fun you know you have to really put in the, the work you don't have to be an athlete to be to have fun with pickleball to have fun no yeah skill agility you know have some good knee a range of motion mm -hmm. is always key but overall it's truly created for a family mm -hmm. Totally. So young kids, elders in the family, everybody, they can just play. I played in high heels. Mm. I was like, okay, I don't need that much range of motion so I could go set. It's great. It's such a great sport. So we've known each other since before you guys had the club. Yeah. At the end of 2010, beginning of 2011 is when what at the time was Energy Fitness opened. Yes. And uh, we started working together. What's your memory of that time? Oh my gosh. This is what happened. My best friend, Sarah, who owns that restaurant two doors, three doors down from Energy Fitness at that time, was like, you need to go and meet Adam. He just opened this fitness studio and you should totally teach yoga there. Hmm. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, for sure. Because I was studying for the bar exam or th I thought I would pursue this legal career. Mm -hmm. And I had just finished law school and then I was like trying to get my brain to like focus in on studying for the bar. But really all I wanted to do was go to yoga, go practice yoga, take a fitness class and meet people and be around people. It was really hard to sit and just study and focus. My brain just wasn't there. Right. Because I had done all this work in law school and I knew I didn't ever really want to be a lawyer lawyer. Mm -hmm. That to now suddenly get myself to sit and study for eight or nine hours a day was just tedious so as soon as she said you need to go meet him i'm like done done i'm gonna go <laughs> find this guy so i walked in you were sitting at your desk and this facility was was a beautiful space that you just made so pleasant and welcoming mm. and being so young i was like how did he know to do this aesthetically pleasing space that looked like nothing else like you know you walk into a boutique fitness spot and it kind of almost looks like K-pop-ish. <laughs> right. No offense to K-pop, but I'm just saying like right. bright colors or very like girly-ish. Mm -hmm. But you made a space that looked welcoming to men, women, young, you know, middle-aged, whatever. And I was right away blown away. Like the this color green you selected, the wood floors. A, a lot of this, by the way, was uh, a friend of mine, Mallory McGahee, was uh -huh. finishing up uh, interior design school when I was opening. So wow. she came and helped put everything together for like a really, really 
low price because I couldn't afford much. So she helped yeah. with a lot of that. I will say I'm proud. I installed the floors myself with my buddy Jeff. That yeah, was. I remember. I remember you mentioned how tough. you did everything. <laughs> See, that's what I'm saying. You were just a creator before there was even a thing mm -hmm. about being known as a creator. Mm -hmm. I mean, back there, back then, it, there was no influencers. There, there, there was just there was no social media that we were really using other than Facebook, maybe. Mm -hmm. So, but you were really one of those folks. Mm. So I'm proud of you, first of all. So when I walked in, saw your space, introduced myself, and I think you were just teaching your fitness classes, and I'm like, hey, I teach yoga. And it didn't take long. You were just like, okay, can you teach on this day, this right. day? <laughs> and I was like, sure, anything to take me away from studying. Right. And I remember as we got to know each other, I like cracked up inside because I have a timing issue. <laughs> I don't know if you remember. <laughs> wait, wait. Like well, I, I can never counting with no. Hey, with, um, with being on time, being on time or that, finishing on time. Told, yes, I remember. And you're so like by the book, punctual businessman. Like uh -huh. you were trying your best to be super serious and like run a tight ship. And here I was like, dee, 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 hi, how you doing? Like two minutes before class setting up. And then I remember I'd go over two minutes, three minutes, four minutes. And you would be like from behind the curtain like pointing to your watch, like wrap it up, wrap it up. So those are my first memories of us working mm -hmm. together was just sort of like, I had this lightness about me too. Mm -hmm. Cause I was just like starting off in the world, I guess, mm -hmm. as an adult. Totally. And finding my way and finding what interested me and what I wanted to put my time into. Mm -hmm. And then I found your space. And then I saw you and you were, you know, you're younger than me. And then you had this like work ethic and this like business entrepreneurship about you. So I, I, I learned quite a bit from your work ethic as well. It's just, That's generous to say. Thank you. It's true. It's really true. You're one of the first entrepreneurs at such a young age that I was like, it's fun to watch you grow. It's been fun to watch you grow. Right back at you. Thank you. I remember about that space, the community really like it, it was about fitness but that was almost like an excuse to have people together like a lot of kindred spirits kind of came together yeah. and kind of found our tribe and you helped grow first yoga then uh bar you named knockout which was the best name ever <laughs> you uh, helped recruit so many of the people that were there it ended up being like fitness was just the wrapper for what we were doing. You know, the meat of it was community, I think. Big time. Yeah. It was like the first space that was fitness minded, but didn't even feel like a fitness. It felt like Cheers, that <laughs> old show that totally. my uncles and aunts would watch where everybody knew your name. You just shut up, you worked out, and then you talked about things. You talked about your mm -hmm. family, your, you know, the, the ladies would talk about their children. I didn't have kids at the time. Um, we brought Lululemon in and they were starting to pop off mm -hmm. and they were all about community too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I felt comfortable enough over there to talk about who I was as like an American Muslim identity, mm -hmm. which was so random mm -hmm. to talk about that in a fitness space. Mm -hmm. And then that turned into this whole, I am Jerusalem concept. And we brought in that whole plaza, like, you know, and again, you were like so receptive to it. You're like, okay, let's do this. Let's show a movie. If you remember, we showed a movie there about I do, yeah. Um, interfaith 
people coming together to go to Mexico to build a home in Mexico. And we did this whole showcase of that, sh of that movie mm -hmm. inside the studio. So we used your studio for everything that we could have possibly used it for. So on I Am Jerusalem, I'm glad you brought that up. This is a very important topic. It's very of the moment now it's to a, talk yeah, about. I know. What was the background of you starting that? So I Am Jerusalem, I Am Jerusalem was, uh, you and Sarah and Sandy. Yes. Right? Yes. Uh, can you give a little more background as to what the idea of that was? So back when I was like 19 or 20, I was fortunate enough to have traveled a lot abroad. Mm -hmm. Just my parents would just say, okay, we're going to the Middle East or we're going. So it was really an interesting time for me. I didn't think of it much back then. I just get on a plane and go with them places. But when we ended up in Jerusalem that's when I like stopped and was like wow I'm seeing a completely different part of the world mm. that works differently than we do in Orange County California everything mm. about Jerusalem was just pure magic magic was pure magic and I wanted to bring that concept back to Orange County mm -hmm. so when I came back and Sarah and I were sitting in yoga oh I'm sorry wait when you say magic what was the magic what was it you were trying to bring back the religious not not okay so what i wanted to bring back was the acceptance i don't want to use the word tolerance because it was way beyond tolerance it was like an understanding between jews muslims christians that i had never seen before because hmm. from where we are from here in orange county it's like you can me as an american muslim i'm constantly explaining what's in this a muslim what do muslims believe what is islam um, and similarly, I know Jewish people kind of describe their faith and then like, you know, different f forms of Christianities have to explain how they're different. There's, you know, there's Lutheran, there's Catholicism, there's Mormonism. So we're always constantly explaining ourselves mm -hmm. to each other out here. Right. Whereas over there, it was just known. Mm -hmm. It was like, we were Muslim, we were in the Jewish quarter and it was Ramadan mm -hmm. and they called us four o'clock in the morning to wake us up give us a wake-up call to come down and eat our pre-breakfast you know it's like when you're fasting you fast from sun up to sundown mm. so we were there during ramadan but before sun comes up you can eat like a hearty breakfast and get fueled up for your day right but we had we didn't ask for the hotel to provide anything you know we were just there as like travelers passing through but and it was a jewish run establishment and they literally called all of our rooms to say, please come down. We have, you know, a setup for you. So wow. we're all like groggy eyed in our pajamas. And there was like cucumbers and feta cheese and olives. And, and I was like, this is so sweet. This is so thoughtful. Mm -hmm. And there was no explanation needed. Mm -hmm. And then we went to like the Christian quarter and you, everybody was blended. Like everybody was wearing a head covering. Everybody was speaking in Arabic. Everybody was just jiving. Right. And you didn't know who was who. Mm. And I just loved that. And then there was just this understanding of, okay, we're Abrahamic. We all have the one God we worship, but we're all, you know, respectful and diligent to our God-given religions. Right. And we're not going to try and change each other and proselytize. Right. Whereas we have that issue especially in America or within different faith groups here, we're always trying to like convert people, convert, convert. We can't ever just let people be. Right. And I just liked that there was no need to convert because there was already an understanding like, yeah, that's your faith and I'm going to let you practice it and I'm going to respect you for it. And then we're going to build this beautiful magic between all of us. So that's what I meant 
by magic, which I I don't think is there during this current right now, situation, yeah. which is yeah. So I don't sad. know if people would describe it that way at the moment, but at the moment, yeah. But it's there. You mentioned your experience growing up uh, Muslim in America. What was that? So before you went to Jerusalem, what did you experience growing up Muslim? So I'm from Teston, California, where there's like a church on every block, pretty much. My grandparents would go to like the largest church called Trinity Church just to learn English because they migrated. They immigrated from Iran to New Jersey, from Jersey to California, all in the 70s. So they needed to learn English and learn it fast. So Trinity offered ESL classes. So I would go there as like a little kid with my grandparents. So there, there weren't very many mosques or anything to say that I saw frequently yeah. we would have to travel to garden grove for example and then i in garden grove all the kids from all different cities whose parents were muslim would send their kids there for sunday school mm -hmm. so then i realized oh there's more of us you know i'm not just like that one muslim right. in tustin mm -hmm. at arroyo elementary school or right. foothill high school or whatever but growing up muslim in america at that time for me because I love different faith backgrounds so much. And I, that started early on, mm. like third grade. I remember when they asked, who doesn't eat pepperoni pizza? I raised my hand and so did this other Jewish kid mm. who I still remember first and last name. And I looked at him, I'm like, you don't eat pepperoni? He's like, no, you don't eat pepperoni. And he's like, I'm Jewish. I'm like, oh, I'm Muslim. And it was just so fluid. Right. It was just like, cool, cool. And then like when my Christian friends would talk about Jesus, I'd be like, oh, yeah, we have so much respect for Jesus. And Jesus is a huge part of our faith. And so I loved talking like that my whole life mm -hmm. that I never quite felt different. Hmm. I really didn't. And I also think it's where we're from in Tustin. Everybody's just super loving, hmm. at least from my experience. Thank goodness. Everybody just like just loves on each other and very supportive. And it's a small, big town. Right. Um, so it didn't really hit me ever until I ended up like in a relationship with somebody who was Catholic mm. and we had great chemistry and we were young and it was all good, but it wasn't good right. because there would be no future for us together. Mm. It's like, I'm Muslim. I can't get married in a Catholic church. He's Catholic. He's not going to convert to be with me. Mm -hmm. So it was like a young relationship but it hurt, it cut deep because it couldn't go far according to his family or my family. Did you have a period in your life where you pulled away from your faith or resented your faith? Or did you ever have a moment where you, uh, yeah, where that was yeah, challenging? That's, that's a really good question. I mean, resentment is not the case because I feel like God's everywhere and in every faith. So I would never resent the faith. But mm -hmm. I do feel sometimes like bad energy towards the people practicing the faith. Mm -hmm. Because if you open your mind to what the faith is truly trying to teach and what's the point of faith, like it's supposed to be a moral compass. It's mm -hmm. not supposed to be a divider. It's supposed to be a unifier. And if anything, to worship God, to have God in your life and in your heart, it's not to, to, to divide and to create all this chaos that we're seeing in the world. It's to make you a better person. Mm -hmm. So when I see it's not practiced the way it should be practiced and we're doing everything opposite of yeah. what our faiths teach us, whether it's Christianity or Judaism or Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, it makes me sad. Mm. Like, gosh, humans are so, we're so flawed. Right. And that's why faith came. Whether you believe in God or not, 
there are certain rules and laws and regulations for us humans to have a moral compass. Mm -hmm. But love is love. Mm. So if you love somebody of a different faith, then you find your common ground mm -hmm. and you just go forward. But I didn't understand that concept as a young person and neither did like my Catholic friend. And it was like, end, you know, severed. Right. And that kind of helped establish I Am Jerusalem because I was like, you know what? I'm going to show him <laughs> right. that there's more commonalities than differences. Mm -hmm. And he didn't take the time to learn about Islam. Right. And I'm going to take all the time in the world, my entire life, to learn about Juda Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And why these three are the three Abrahamic faiths, monotheistic faiths. What is the, what is the commonality? Other than being Abrahamic. So first it came from Abraham, Prophet Abraham, which is like, you know, the godfather of monotheism. And the concept is there's one God to worship. And so lots of times throughout human history, people wanted to constantly worship the sun, the moon, idols that they would create because you want to have faith in something. And if you don't see it, then you just create. Mm. So this happened throughout human history. Idols were created. People kind of like kept deviating from the message of oneness. Mm -hmm. So that's why we believe or Muslims believe that there have been messengers sent to people of all different civilizations throughout time mm. to say, hey, come back to the oneness of God. Come back to the oneness. Don't worship idols. Don't, you know, deviate from like Moses's message, Abraham's message, Jesus's message. What, are, what are idols? Like what are in history? What were some of the like other like is the term false idols is bouncing around my head? Is that? Yeah. If somebody was being more negative, I guess that's right. I mean, so I have a real, my, one of my best friends is Hindu. Mm -hmm. And so of course her and I are going to have these kind of conversations throughout our life. And we have, and I've always wanted to understand Hinduism mm -hmm. because according to, you know, modern theory or people or whatnot, Hinduism is a polytheistic religion, okay. which means multiple gods. Mm -hmm. So I, I asked her, I'm like, so is it really, do you really believe in like Lord Shiva and Lord Ganesh as different, different for gods. And she said something so mind blowing that I was like, wow, this is so cool that it's almost monotheistic in my view. She said, there's the one creator, but this creator is um, identified in different forms. Hmm. So like Lord Ganesh is like the God of wealth. So if, when you need that kind of help in life, you would have like a lot of those Lord Ganeshes everywhere. Ganesh is like with the elephant. I don't know if you've seen that idol, but it has like a long elephant trunk. Okay, yeah. And then if you need, you know, fertility, there'd be the God of fertility, but it's from the one God, Krishna. Mm. Mm. But then it's like taking multiple forms, mm. right? Yeah, yeah. So I was like, oh, that's so, that, hey, I was never taught that about Hinduism. If that's truly the way it's, it's seen to you or believed to be by you then to me it's like we're all the same still mm -hmm. we still have that one creator mm -hmm. um kind of like saints and catholicism sure but like, those they they wouldn't saints are from god so they're not god right but they are um you know they are um like middlemen for god right, 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 right. <laughs> so instead of like worshiping god directly you would like say a prayer to virgin mary or mm -hmm. you know saint francis etc saint cecilia mm-hmm you know, at the end of the day, faith is so layered. Right. And when you take the time to read and understand the different faiths that have come and come and stayed, actually, yeah. 
it's so fascinating that you can't help but feel like it's a macro situation. It's what not a. Mean? It's all like a forest with different trees in it. Hmm. All one in a all way. All one an ecosystem. Yeah. And the the trees are providing oxygen no matter what. I love that. That's a great metaphor. Thank you. But that's that's how I see it. Mm -hmm. I truly see it like that. Like, how can I just appreciate the palm tree when there's the eucalyptus and the oak? Right. And that sounds like tripper. <laughs> <laughs> like, what did this girl smoke before? No, but I see that. Like, I'm looking at this tennis club right now and I see all the different trees. I see the different colors of green. And I, I look at that as if that's how we should see each other's faiths. Mm-hmm. Because we need all of it to understand and to be good. At the end of the day, it's about being good and having a moral compass. Mm -hmm. So my moral compass might be from being Muslim with a sprinkle of Christianity and Judaism and then some like Hindu influence and some Buddhist influence. But whatever I need to take and grab from my oxygen so that my soul is nourished. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where the concept of I am Jerusalem came from is, yeah, sure, I'm born Muslim. But that doesn't mean I can't evolve and, and kind of like mold and be something else as I grow older or mm -hmm. flex and take from here and take from there. But when you talk to traditionalists, they don't like this. Right. You know, they're like, whoa, this too new age. This person's confused. It's very in-group, out-group. Yeah. They have to draw really, really firm lines there. What do you think... Why do you think people have pushed back against religion so much in the last, I don't know how long, 20 years or something like that. It, it, I could be totally off about this, but it feels like there has been, like people who have faith for a long time felt like they had to not bring it up in polite company. Really? Uh, and maybe that's just a function of my age. Maybe yeah. 10 years ago, I was younger and everybody, and when you're younger, you're more likely to be godless, but yeah. <laughs> it's, it, I'm seeing people being more comfortable sharing that they have a relationship with God, whatever that God might be. Yeah, yeah. Why do you think that is, that either people were pushing against it before or why people may be more comfortable with it now? It feels like times are changing a little bit in, I think, the right direction. I agree. I agree. I Social media has a lot to do with it. Mm -hmm. The amount of um, preaching I see on Instagram from young generation, I mean, people who are in their 20s that are doing ministry, especially, and they're just like really lovely to look at. Mm. And they've got all the trends, you know, they're wearing the latest fashion, and then suddenly they're speaking about God. So I think whatever's happening with the younger generation on social media is probably why it's been cool to talk about God. I'm happy to see that. I am too. Whatever yeah. it takes to have that moral compass. Totally. You yes. Know? Yeah. Because unfortunately, with all the screen time we all have, we've become very desensitized. I mean, mm. I've seen, so sad, I've seen it so many times in the last hundred days, images of war currently in Gaza. And it's like, I cannot even see it anymore. Right. In a way, it's desensitizing me because I'm like, this can't be real. Right. I can't really be seeing these awful, awful images of dead babies. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm like, this almost looks like a Hollywood horror, f you know, film. Right. So it's like social media um, brings all of that to the surface. So whether it's good stuff, like 
amazing young people doing ministry or preaching and educating people or you see war and really horrid images but mm -hmm. we're we we need something i don't know to turn us on because we're getting so much information i think from social media has your relationship with god evolved over the last 10 20 years that's such a good question if you ask my mom who's the most conservative no she's not the most she's awesome but she's very like she's been such a stand-by-her-God kind of woman. Mm -hmm. She's never wavered. Mm. And she's been so devout um, that I look like I am not even right. folding in and getting in line with her. Right. So she's she would almost think that I've distanced myself from the faith. Right. But I, she doesn't see it the way I do. She doesn't see that forest that I see. Mm -hmm. So my relationship with God has, if anything, become really colorful. Like, I'm like, ah, I get you. Mm -hmm. Like, I see what you're doing. Nice. You created this person with blonde hair, blue eyes. You created this person, you know, to have, you know, red hair and freckles. You created this faith, that faith, all for a purpose, mm -hmm. to all work together as an ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't want me to just be a Muslim anymore. You want me to, sure, respect and and be true to, to my God-given religion and pray maybe as a Muslim, but also open my eyes and ears and heart to Christian prayers and Christian Bible verses or Old Testament or even Hindu, Hindu chants and Buddhist mantras. Like, you want that for me. Mm -hmm. I truly believe that. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I think my mom feels very safe in her bubble, in her community, mm -hmm. and that's probably her generation. Right. And my uncle's generation and my grandma's generation, etc. But, um, yeah, so my relationship with God kind of went from a position of, okay, I have to be Muslim, I have to marry a Muslim, mm -hmm. and that's my faith, that's my identity, and I just have to work within that that confine, right. to now, I'm like, whatever, I can go anywhere, mm -hmm. and for that day, if I feel like being Christian, I'll be Christian. Right. <laughs> sounds really crazy, but it, if I feel it in my heart, and I want to pray that way, I'll do it. Mm. I'm not afraid anymore to think, mm -hmm. is this right or wrong? I love that. I think that the, some people that I respect that I've seen, are you familiar with Andrew Huberman? No. He's a, a neuroscientist at Stanford. He also, he's a big podcast called the uh, Huberman Lab. Yeah. He, on a podcast very recently said uh, that he was Christian and that he's been basically uh, keeping that a secret for however long he's been in the public eye. Right. And. I see it being more common where people are one, sharing their faith more, and they're more comfortable having their own relationship with God where it doesn't have to be dictated by a particular congregation and a very strict set of rules yeah. where they can say, you know what, I have a relationship with God that I do in my own way. And maybe that's the next evolution where that's, that's how people can kind of uh, come to terms with the parts of religion that are more challenging in the modern age for sure because there are parts there are parts that are like oh man did it have to say that <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you're like yeah. really stone them are you yeah, sure i know i'm like ah. yeah but i mean because i studied at the claremont school of theology mm -hmm. and because i learned so much there was christians there in that seminary there's jews in that seminary i got my master's so when i met you maybe during energy time. Mm -hmm. I, I received a scholarship together for my work with I Am Jerusalem, actually. So cool. I Am Jerusalem opened up these great doors. And um, I was like, 
in the room with students who are rabbinical students and you know Muslim scholars and then Christians and and I don't remember where I'm going with this but <laughs> <laughs> something happened really special there um, what are we talking about we're talking about oh you, you could feel your personal God it yes. was like a personal God like yeah. you could, I I felt like okay it's not so much about being a part of a specific church synagogue mosque mm -hmm. That's when I knew you could literally jump around. You could. Like, mm -hmm. I want to tell people, you can jump around and still be authentic and not feel fake and not feel like you're not doing your, your religion a service. Wherever you go that you pull from, that mm -hmm. nourishes you, that gives you that oxygen, yeah. is how you should operate. Because mm -hmm. life is so hard. And there's yeah. so many times where you just want to give up in terms of like your faith or your belief because you're like, okay, this isn't going right. That's not going right. But then like some passage from some other faith that's mm. not your faith comes and speaks to you and you're like, oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So why not embody that? Why not bring that in? Right. And not feel like, okay, I'm not being a good Christian because I suddenly like that Muslim prayer. Right. Or I'm not being a good Jew because that, that Christian, you know, passage made sense to me, mm -hmm. et cetera. I don't know. I think I'm asking too much of people, but I just wish and my prayer one day would be for people to allow themselves to get nourished hmm. by all the different theologies because there's so much like psychology based to it there's so many like emotional intelligence you know moments you can learn from different faiths you can get nourished by one faith no problem but i feel like you're you have only one life mm -hmm. so why not learn about as much as you can for your soul and your spirit right find the light wherever it speaks to you right yeah and not all of it's going to make sense. Right. It's not supposed to either. And that's okay. Like you can have your own relationship with the texts, with God. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I mean, Christianity itself has so many varieties within it. Same thing with Islam. I mean, you could spend a whole lifetime being a Muslim scholar and still not get all your uh, questions answered. Mm -hmm. With any religion, there's just so much to learn and delve into. Is there, do you have any advice if somebody wanted to start exploring that so i just uh, my friend sam recently so i'm not uh, i've not had a close relationship with god for a while yeah but i'm exploring what that means what people are getting out of it i'm trying to I'm sure you can tell by my questions that i'm yeah. curious about what people's relationship is with their faith uh, my friend sam recently recommended i check out uh mere christianity by c.s lewis mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so uh that's, that's next one. on my reading list to just start educating myself. Do you have any advice for someone who wants to check out other faiths, either books or maybe they should just go check out different yeah. services? I don't know. What do you uh, think? You know what, Adam? You're such a thinker that you think through everything like five times through, <laughs> which right. is a good thing for most things. Mm -hmm. When it comes to religion and faith, that's when you need to not stop thinking, but allow your heart and your soul mm. to just be surrendered to whatever you're learning. Surrender is so tough. I know it is. I know you very, <laughs> I feel like I know you very well. I've totally. known you for such a long time. So you just have to not think through it too much. Cause if you think about the parting of the Red Sea right. and giving sight to the blind, turning water to wine. Yeah. Angel Gabriel coming and speaking to an illiterate man and providing Quranic verses that are like, you don't even know how to read and write and suddenly you're writing poetry, which was the, the, the case of Prophet Muhammad. 
It's like, really? Did that really happen? Mm-hmm. Immaculate conception, a virgin giving birth. <laughs> right. If you start going there, yeah. you'll never, never feel fulfilled when it comes to religion because mm. you'll always think it through too much and be like, can't happen, impossible. Nope, nope, nope. So once you remove those borders and boundaries within your your mindset Mm -hmm. and you just allow the concept of whatever you're learning starting with mere christianity is great siddhartha is another good have you read siddhartha yet oh that's a good one okay siddhartha and then obviously there's plenty of islamic texts and jewish texts i mean it'll take you a lifetime right but the point is to just grab one passage grab another passage create your own compass with that mm. because truly you know god, like i've said god's everywhere and i mean it's just a journey it never stops mm. and there's going to come a point where you're like i don't believe it sorry not possible right you start believing when miracles happen in your life mm. or when things that are so challenging and you see suddenly that challenge is removed after you've truly prayed or meditated on something and it's gone you're like oh wow that was a miracle mm. okay i believe yeah because I think that's like the only evidence we can have in today's modern age are the power of prayer, which mm-hmm. is huge, especially community prayer. Mm-hmm. Power of praying together and then seeing prayers get answered. There's some science behind this too, I think, community prayer and the power of that. Oh, big time. Yeah. I mean, that's huge. I love two things, community, prayer and like dancing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Dancing and like music festivals and being in the moment with people. Mm-hmm powerful totally how much can you let go of your life and like what's going on in your life and you're just having fun and moving and letting the the music take you that's surrender too that's totally surrender this i think so this is something that i'm uh, starting to come to terms with is letting that go letting go of control letting listening more to my heart than my head yeah it doesn't come naturally but. i know no you've got a very like you've got so much fortitude and that's gonna take you, it's already taking you places and it's gonna keep taking you places. But it's hard for people who are such deep thinkers to allow themselves to believe in these like folk twi- folk tales almost. Right. You know, that's a folk tale, no way, no way. Like Johnny Appleseed, like really? He created all the apple, do you know that story? <laughs> right, right, yeah, yeah. Paul Bunyan, I don't know, he's like fight with ox, ox tales or whatever. That was like, these are like folk tales, American folk tales mm-hmm. to teach kids, you know, some stories. Um, but when it comes to religion, it's sort of like, yeah, have your brain, think it through, etc. but then let the miracles speak for themselves. Somebody, somebody was telling me recently that it's, uh, that, that faith is the whole point. Like it's, yeah. it's not going to make sense that it's you, you having the faith is like the key kind Absolutely. of. Absolutely. Hmm. Cause how, how sad and boring would it be? If we just had this life, which we do, and you have to live it and appreciate it every day that you, you're here, but then it's gone. Mm. Am I really not going to see you in the next life? Right. That makes me so sad. Like, how can us, our two souls connect here? Mm. And then it's gone. Mm. Like, 90 years old, bye, Adam, I'm gone. Mm-hmm. I'm moving on. And, like, I'm dead now. And that's it. Like, our souls don't get to reconnect ever again. What does the Muslim faith believe happens after death? There is the same concept similar in, in, in Christianity and Judaism about heaven and not heaven. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. uh-huh. You know, heaven and whatever hell, you know, basically. But it's not it's more of just like your soul is going to get that 
consequence right for the misbehavior that right. you had when you were alive on this earth what do you think happens at the end oh my gosh i had the most mind-blowing dream because i'm constant like i guess i'm thinking about this a lot in my subconscious mm -hmm. so they say your dreams are your subconscious coming to your forefront right so i had this dream I mean, I don't really tell anybody, but now it's going to be like podcast, World Wide Web, viral. So this, the thing, like, I, I'm not trying to share I had this vision, but I did. And it was basically Jesus. It was the craziest dream. I'm like, why is Jesus in my dream? I'm not even Christian. Like, what's happening right now? Right. And I knew I was dreaming. And they say the most powerful dreams happen just before the sun comes up. Oh. It's like... There's some something, if you read about it, I don't know exactly, but there's this, um, your soul transcends to different dimensions. Mm. It's like the most powerful time for the afterlife mm -hmm. and this life to connect. Mm. I don't know where that's written, but I know it's out there. There's like a lot of studies about that time of the, the day. Okay. So I had this dream and it was just before sunrise because I woke up and I see I could see the sun rising. Um, and it was Jesus, and I'm like, oh my God, Jesus. Oh my God, hello, hi. <laughs> and I was like, Such oh a my fan, God. good to meet <laughs> you. A, yeah, totally. I was like, why, why are you here? <laughs> like, why am I with you? And I felt like I was up in heaven or in the sky. I was somewhere. And he looked just like you imagine Jesus to look. Mm -hmm. White robe, gold, flowing arms, long hair, everything that we've kind of seen depicted of him. Right. And I'm like, Jesus, I know I'm dreaming. I totally know I'm dreaming. This is a dream. But please tell me, please, please tell me, what is it? Mm -hmm. Is it you? What is it? What is it? I need to know what, what's, what is it? And I couldn't even speak properly. Right. But I just remember I kept asking, please tell me, please tell me, what is it? What is it? I just, I totally get chills. I remember he opened his arms and he said, it's everything, it's everybody. Mm. That was the answer. It's everything. It's everybody. Wow. And I was like, what? It's everything. It's everybody. What do you mean? What do you mean? Like, and then I woke up. Wow. You sit with that for a while. Oh my God. And I was so shaken. Yeah. I, <laughs> I went to the laundry to go drop off my clothes. I had to tell the laundry lady. <laughs> I was like, um, I had a dream of Jesus. <laughs> she was like, She's like, oh, really? Cuckoo, cuckoo, we got a cuckoo on here. And she's like, I remember her face. And she's, you know, like, just taking my clothes, like, okay. I'm like, it was so beautiful. I need to talk to somebody about it. Can right. I tell you what happened? And she was so kind and gracious to listen to me. But I know, like, behind, in the back of her mind, she's probably like, oh, my God, this right. lady's crazy. Right. But at the time, it felt, now I understand those people who say they have visions of Virgin Mary or whatever. Right. I'm like, I get it. So that was really powerful for me. A, I'm not Christian. Mm -hmm. B, I was not really expecting to see Jesus ever in my life like that. When they say there's visions of Jesus and stuff, I was like, what? Right. I was so, I felt so blessed. I it felt, felt like, different than other dreams? Big time. Mm. It felt like that was the dream that was to set me on my path. Oh, when was this? Um, during COVID. Okay. Did you, so you said it's everything and it's everybody. It's everything is everybody. Did you, did that resonate right when you woke up or did you have to sit with it for a while? 
I no, I didn't have to sit with it. It mm. kind of clarified for me everything I I had been thinking, mm. and everything I I had been like um, absorbing mm -hmm. from like the Claremont School of Theology to I am Jerusalem to my relationship with Catholic friend to my conversations with Jewish friend in third grade right. for pepperoni pizza. Like <laughs> right. suddenly it was like the last piece of that puzzle, mm. and I was like, oh my God, Valentina, you, you've been thinking correctly you're not that far off right people might say you're far off your family might think this is too new age your friends who are christian might think you're way out of line right but you're not right for me i feel like there are so many there are hundreds of millions or billions of people of all these different faiths yeah and if we go by like hardcore you know, old school interpretations. Well, that means at the end of the world or the end of life, what, yeah. you know, seven out of eight billion people are going to be dead because they didn't have the right person teach them the right thing. Thank you. Exactly. Yeah. So are you trying to tell me we're not going to, let's just take the island of Tonga. Right. Those Tongans have their own culture, beautiful culture. They have their own. I don't know if missionaries, you know, I'm sure missionaries have made it out there and definitely proselytized, etc. But let's just say there's a group of Tongans or um, Tahitians or Samoans. Just I'm talking about like remote lands, right. islands, far away. It's hard to get to. Back in the day, pre-airplanes, right. pre-big, huge cruise ships. Are you telling me that because they weren't touched by the right message, they're not their souls haven't ascended to some other cool dimension? You know, mm -hmm. I, there's a concept called the seven heavens, and that I never really truly read about, but I probably will get to it at some point. Islam has this concept of, of various levels of heaven, mm -hmm. and so like seventh being like the ultimate. Mm -hmm. But like everybody has an opportunity to even get to one or maybe my dad was lying because my dad <laughs> is the one who told me this when I was a kid. I remember he was like, there's seven in his Indian accent. There's seven heavens. So I was like, oh, so is my friend Jennifer going to be in one of the heavens? Where am I going to go? Where are you going to go? Because I wanted to believe that we're all going to end up somewhere great mm -hmm. after here. Right. Especially if we work so hard to have a great life here. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not committing, God forbid, any murders. Neither are you. Right. I'm not destroying my temple with drugs, alcohol. I'm respecting my body that I was given. Mm -hmm. um, I try and do good and like do different things for, for my community and my family. So I'm like trying to live this life, not perfect, absolutely not perfect, but trying to live this decent life so that I can like ascend to somewhere even cooler. If you leave this place better than you found it, if, you, if your life leaves the world net positive it seems crazy to me that you wouldn't have the opportunity to go to heaven if that's how it works yeah yeah just because of your faith right because you weren't the right faith right and every religion says they're the right faith <laughs> right it's like really right you talk to muslims oh we are the most complete we are the final chapter to the abrahamic story yeah we are god's final word right you talk to a christian Oh no, Lord Jesus is our savior. If you don't believe in Jesus, you haven't been salvaged. Right. You talk to a Jew, oh, the Messiah hasn't come yet. Mm -hmm. We have to wait for the Messiah. Mm -hmm. And then amazing Hindus, amazing Buddhists, Zoroastrians. That's a whole nother thing. Baha'is. I mean, 
Come on. Witches, all of them. They got all different ideas. They've all got, and at the end of the day, they all have the good versus evil, the do good versus don't do, have morals, treat each other well, have respect, treat your body right. Right. Don't be, you know, damaging it with bad things, bad foods, chemicals, et cetera. Like all the same like concepts. The world is big and there's all these lands and there's all these different people. So I think the point is there's different messages that other people can relate to. Mm -hmm. So you and I like living here in Orange County in 2024, we're going to relate to maybe like really awesome entrepreneurs that have great advice for us. Right. Versus like somebody who's covered head to toe, dressed in a way that we don't dress like. And they're saying things that might not relate to our life here. Mm-hmm. But that person will relate to folks elsewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just giving an example. Right. You could be dressed any which way and have a great idea and concept. And it could relate to anybody anywhere around the world. Right. But I do believe certain messages came for certain civilizations at certain times. Right. That made sense for those people. If the root of it is, you know, do good, try our best not to do bad. I know. <laughs> right? How easy is it to do bad, P.S.? Right. <laughs> oh, my God. Totally. Woof. That's what Vegas is for. <laughs> <laughs> Show yeah. up there and you're like, I don't know any, I have no moral compass. Yeah, it's like a Faraday cage for God. He can't see inside. Yeah, you go. you're fine. You're fine behind <laughs> all of that. <laughs> all those neon lights. Right. Speaking of different friends that you've had that have, you know, that you are able to relate to in different ways. Yeah. How have you maintained friends as an adult? Because I've seen on, you know, Instagram and some of these people I've known as well over the years, you're able to maintain friends that you've had. That gets tough. It's, I feel like a lot of people are lonely. A lot of people have a hard time maintaining friendships. How's that gone for you? I think because I am an only child, So one of my survivor mechanisms has been people Mm -hmm. because otherwise it would be so boring at home by myself as a kid. So like going out there and making friends and socializing and just playing and was sort of just what built me as a child. So it carried on through adult life. Like I genuinely love meeting people. I genuinely start people at a 10 and then their behavior or whatever right. will knock themselves. Like people are at, are at a five. I know people who are like straight up five now for me. See, that seems generous. I know some ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe a one or two here and there for ones. But after COVID, it really shed the light on people's um, people's true true. I don't I don't know what to say. Like who they truly are. Do you think that people are inherently good or inherently bad? Oh gosh, inherently good. Mm. I I totally think that. You think that people are born good and then yeah, life some may be corrupted by life. Yeah, life and like your circumstances, environment just kind of whittles away at your soul. <laughs> you right. know? Okay, so I took you off track. You were talking yeah. about uh, you only child. And... Yeah, so only child, and I learned how to make friends easy, easily. Right. But that also is a double-edged sword, mm. and I'll tell you why. I ended up collecting so many people throughout my life Mm -hmm. that it's like you know when you try and wrap your hands around let's just say like something that can fall apart fast i don't know you try and grab a bag of marbles and it's like overflowing and all the marbles and there's a hole at the bottom you know all the marbles are going to fall out so that's how it feels sometimes with my friendships is Mm -hmm. that 
to go really like deep, mm-hmm. I do have to focus on a handful mm. and then allow the other friends to just be and just right. kind of well wish them from afar. Mm-hmm. But when I see them, genuinely give them a big hug mm-hmm. and say, I miss you and I love you and I remember our you know, childhood memories. How's your family? Like it stays surface. But I find that if I give them a real hug and I like look at them and mm-hmm. say that I really miss them and I hope they're doing well and I feel that back, that friendship stays intact. Right. So like for you and I, mm-hmm. for example, you and I, like I see you and I'm like so happy to see you. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we just pick up. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's sort of what people need to think about when it comes to maintaining friendships. It's not about, hey, you want to go to dinner or spending that time together necessarily because there is no time like that anymore. Everybody's getting older and life is getting heavier and responsibilities are you know piling on. There's a scarcity of time yeah. that you know, when we're in our 20s, we believe that things are infinite. We have infinite time for friends. We yeah. can start infinite businesses that right. we, there are no limitations. And I think part of getting older is realizing there are finite hours in the day. There's finite energy in our body. Exactly. Exactly. So how do you maintain those connections and prioritize time? And when you have a family, that's just how it goes. You have to start, you have to prioritize your family. Yeah. You can't, uh, I can't go out to the bars when the kids are at home. That's ridiculous. Sure. I mean, there are times where you get a sitter, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. you know, when I was younger with kids and my friends didn't have kids, that's just how it goes. You can't spend all of your time right. that way. Totally. So I, I, you know, sometimes I remember when my son was first born and the Pitbull song came on, one of the, like one of his smash hits came on <laughs> and I was like on a hiatus from teaching bar. Of course I missed teaching. I was trying to heal from the C-section and feel this moment. That was the name of the song. Pitbulls feel this moment. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing the video on YouTube and I looked at my baby and I was like, oh my God, I'm never going to feel this moment again. I'm never going to be able to dance again and feel that young, young and free and footloose and fancy free, whatever mm-hmm. that sl- saying is. And I kept thinking, I was in such a dark headspace. Right. I was like, I'm not going to see my friends again. Now I'm half like, I'm a mother and like, all these things. But, you know, as life has it, as time has it, with everything, time takes its place and takes its course and things get better mm. and your mindset changes and your priorities change and anyway, I got back to teaching bar and I played the heck out of that song and I was mm. like, yes, I'm dancing to this song and I'm teaching bar and I'm seeing all my like bar friends here. Mm-hmm. So it's never the end of the world. Nothing's ever the end of the world. Right. But people do suffer from loneliness and I'm probably the most extroverted introvert I've realized. What does that mean? You, I actually, I literally wrote that down for one of your Instagram posts. Yeah, I really am. What's well, an extroverted introvert? Like you're so extroverted. You could talk to anybody. Like I love meeting strangers. I love being like, I love your shoes. Where'd you get those from? And it's a total stranger. Right. And just talking to them or being like, overhearing a conversation at the airport and being like, oh my God, that happened to me too. And they're, <laughs> and they're like, who is this person? Right. I'm just that person, Uh male, female, young, old, whatever. I just like, I tell my son, your 10 year old friends are my friends too. (laughs) Like I love just sitting with them. Sometimes my son is playing by himself and his friends are 
just hanging out and I'm like sitting with his friends talking to them. So I really feed off of human energy, like Mm. people's energy. Mm -hmm. But then when people aren't around me and I'm by myself, it's like the most peaceful time. Mm. And then if it goes on for too long, I get too used to it. And then it's like takes a lot of energy to get me like charged up again. Right. But I do enjoy being in my own headspace and having that quietness and thinking and then not wanting to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. So then, yeah, I feel like that's extroverted introvert. So it's like inertia. Like if you spend yes, too long one way or the other. Exactly. Um, but with maintaining friendships, yeah, it's impossible. There's too many marbles in the bag sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, and then, yeah, like your actions will create holes in that bag. Sometimes you'll say something to offend somebody or you'll act a certain way that'll rub somebody the wrong way. And then that the bag keeps getting punctured and more marbles fall out. And at the end of the day, it's those stand by you kind of friends that just get you. Mm -hmm. You don't have to explain yourself too much. And when you see them, you just connect and you don't have to, you know, go into all the fine details of life. Right. Unless you feel like it. Right. But I've realized like if I see a childhood friend or a friend from you know, back in the day, it's not so much, oh my gosh, yeah, let's get together because nobody's got time for that. Mm -hmm. But it's a genuine hug. I feel like there's so much a hug can relay. Mm. And I'm trying to teach my kids that, Mm. like hug both arms. I want everybody to feel you. Right. Wrap both your arms around my waist. I want to feel your tight hug. Don't give me like a, you know, like a side hug. I'm not into that side hug thing. Is that your... One of your love language types? Yeah. Physical touch? Physical touch, hugging, how are like eyes locking mm-hmm. and then listening. Cause a lot of times somebody's talking, but we're so busy in our minds, we, we're thinking about the next thing to say. Yes. <laughs> yes. Or our next to do item. Uh-huh. And we're not really focusing on that person. Mm-hmm. This is a skill I'm working on because I've noticed when I doing the podcast. I'm, starting to get a little better i think because i'm working on it but i'm just worried about the next thing i have to say Mm -hmm. and am i doing a good job and uh is it weird if i look at my uh watch right now yeah and then i realize 30 seconds have gone by and i haven't actually paid attention to what they said (laughs) so do you do you work on that like do you have tips let me tell you a tip i just read uh, I just read uh, a tip from Brian Grazer's book, the movie producer. He has a great book about curiosity. Mm-hmm. And he says when he's trying to remain present, so he has met multiple presidents, and when he gets in the room, it's really easy to like disassociate and not be totally present. He imagines a rubber band snapping on his wrist, uh-huh. and that helps him come back to the come present. Back. That yeah. trick has been really useful for me lately. Yeah. How do you stay present? How do you listen? I can be present when you're talking to people. It seems so hard. I know it, it definitely can be, especially yeah. when we're doing like joy of giving interviews and there's another person I see that I need to interview and they're walking in the background. I mean, I think it's human nature. We all have a little bit of ADHD for sure. Right. <laughs> I don't know. Just being genuinely interested. Right. And then when you're not, you just like move on. Like make <laughs> right. it your, like this is your show. So if you're done, like, okay, so anyway, yeah, what's yeah. the next question? But I think it's just, just, kind of like I could feel you're genuinely interested about all the faith stuff. I could feel that. Mm-hmm. So you made it easy for me to talk to you about it mm. versus like, it wasn't just like a formal question right. to be interesting. It was like, let's talk about this. Yeah. Um, but there's some things that people talk about and there's like, whatever you have zero <laughs> interest right. in it. So for the sake of your own time, yes, 
you need to keep that conversation moving to the next. Totally. You know, but then of course we all have to be charitable and and do our best to listen to things that we don't even want to listen to. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, but with, you're right, within limits, because there are certain times Some people where... will just, like, go for it and give you more and more and more. Yeah. I like that you've been very genuine in this conversation. All your answers have been sincere. Sometimes, you know, not even with anybody I've interviewed, but with other interviews that I've seen uh, online and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, people have a spiel sometimes, and so maybe the interviewer is genuinely curious, but the person giving the answer is, it's kind of soulless, it's repetitive, they're just yeah going on with their spiel and you can tell that they don't even care about what they're saying oh that's anyway so i appreciate that you've been super present for our conversation so far oh well, i appreciate you so how has parenting changed you i'm not sure if it's for the better or for the worse i love my children so much that i'm like helicopter mom like i don't want to see anything happen bad to them i'm constantly censoring things that whoever they're with, what they're seeing. So it's made me paranoid. <laughs> it's made me anxious. It's made me tired. I mean, there's nobody talks about the nitty gritty. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. What's the nitty gritty? The nitty gritty. There's so much nitty gritty that goes into parenting. Like you don't just like, hey, I want to be a parent. You really got to think about it. Mm -hmm. How are you going to raise this child? The, the friend thing and teacher thing is so frustrating as a parent because you so carefully curate their experience when yeah. they're with you. Yeah. And they go to school and... You have no control. There are a lot of kids with parents who have different perspectives on it. Oh my gosh. The things that my kids have seen from other kids at school at yeah. shockingly young ages. Yeah. And there's, there's just not that much you can do about it. I know. I know. It's tough. Schools make a difference. I went on like a school shopping spree in okay. 2023. <laughs> Oh, recently? Yeah, I didn't want to, but we had to switch schools because my 10-year-old who's in fourth grade had a really, um, like, not very productive third grade year. Okay. And I guess they say in America, like, your third grade year is kind of pivotal, mm. which I didn't know. But he just wasn't thriving. And it's a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of his lack of interest. But then he's interested in a lot of other cool things. So if there was like a school for entrepreneurs starting in kindergarten, right. he would be like number one student there. Yeah. But putting him in like a traditional setting with like an advanced curriculum yeah. where you're forcing this child to like write cursive for like two hours or do a report in cursive, things like that. Yeah. I just learned he wasn't thriving. So right. then I had to go on a school shopping spree and it took so much of my time. Mm -hmm. I couldn't even work properly because I knew my kids were not secure in yeah. a, a good environment for their learning potential right so and they're two totally different students so like moving her the younger one who's now in third grade because brother needed to move was a big challenge for me because she could have stayed in a more traditional academically rigorous environment but I wanted to keep them together for the sake of right supporting each other and being together also doing two you'll You'll to see. drop offs, blah blah. When oh, you I'm start, doing do that the now. Middle school, oh, high no, no. school split. Yes, I'm there now. Oh, because yeah. now I have two different schools. Oh. oh, but it's fine because I know he's at a school where he's totally thriving at now. Mm -hmm. But you're right, like the environment, the kids, the teacher. He, he he's one of the most confident guys, Dean. Mm -hmm. And he's so funny, and he's got a great creative brain. 
But man, if he's in the wrong environment with the wrong kids, suddenly he's like a wilted flower. Interesting. And so I saw that early on. Yeah. And I was like, okay, we need to figure this out. Because I only have one son and my firstborn. And I had a very traumatic C-section bringing him into this world. So while I still have him as this child and he's not an adult making his own decisions, I need to do everything I can to provide the best that I can for him. Right. So thank God it finally you know, panned out, mm. but it took like six to seven months mm -hmm. of the last half of 2023 to get them both situated. When I, when I took on Brayden and Brianna, it was the thing that I wasn't prepared for was that it's, it's not about you anymore. And that was hard at first for yeah. me to wrap my head around. Like you said, like the lack of like, Hey, none of my friends have kids yet, and they're all going to Palm Springs this weekend, and I'm not going to Palm Springs. Right. And so that that took me a while to come to terms with that. But I think that there's so much growth that happens when you accept that your goal is now, like your priorities come second now. Yes. Once you accept that, it helps in so many unforeseen ways. It helps you grow so much. And... You can tell sometimes when you meet people who are who never had kids. Some of them, this isn't a problem. But every once in a while, you see someone who never had kids, and they never had to learn that lesson. Yeah. And it seems like a really important lesson to learn that, yeah, sometimes putting someone else first ends up helping you more than you'd expect. Big time. Yeah. I've learned how to slow down more, mm. you know, just be more in the moment, et cetera. Mm -hmm. It's definitely a game changer. I mean, parenting is such a blessing, mm -hmm. big time, because you get to love and love and kiss and cuddle and kiss and cuddle and love and make jokes with somebody, have inside jokes. And, you know, if you do it right, hopefully you'll just have a great bond. Right. You know, of course, there's gonna be so many moments where you're like, oh my God, who is this person I gave birth to? Right. Um, but, yeah, you learn to slow down and put other people before you. And I was, you know, this only child. Yeah. I barely had cats <laughs> right. that would like come and go just as free spirited as I was. So I didn't really have that much to like look after and like have responsibility for. And now yes. I do. And it's so scary not having control. Yeah. Because obviously I'm such a control freak that you see your kids doing things that you think aren't smart or aren't safe or oh, yeah and you just want them to be good and be okay and be happy and not make a terrible decision and letting go of control is still something that i struggle with mm -hmm. and saying they're making a bad choice right now and there's nothing i can do about it I know. or nothing i can try to interfere but it's going to make it worse yeah and knowing when to interfere and when not to interfere that I've never cracked the code well, on the, that. Yours are still young, though, too. I mean, they're still 18 and younger, right? Uh, Brianna's 18, oh, Brayden really? is 17. Oh, so they're right there. Yeah. They're like, because, you know, we growing up, if I said I'm going to be 18 soon, my parents would be like, and right. <laughs> you're still our child. Right. Like, there was no concept of 18, you're an adult. Totally. But I think more so now, kids are growing up so fast, like 18 is, yep. I'm an adult now and I'm mm -hmm. going to take my life into my own hands. Mm -hmm. So since you do have kids at that age range, I'm sure you're going through 
a lot of different, you know, challenges. And plus, your situation is remarkable. They're not even your biological children. They're your adopted kids from your father who passed. So your story has to become a book someday. <laughs> Honest to God. Well, would you buy it? I would definitely buy I'll it. I'll sell at least one. Okay, good. Appreciate that. <laughs> Don't worry. I'll sell them for you because the position you took, the amount of responsibility you took, and you were in your 20s, it's just mind-blowing. So... I'm sure you'll have plenty of to say to to the parents of the world, you know? I don't know so. if you feel like I do about it. I feel like I I took on a lot of responsibility, but I also did a lot of stuff wrong. I don't I don't feel like I would be in a position to tell anybody how to go about it or what to do other than maybe to say the things that I wish I would have done differently or don't do what I did. How helpful is that though? I guess, yeah. So helpful. Totally. People need to know more about other people's failures than successes. Absolutely. Ugh, yes. We talk too much about this worked out, that worked out, I did this and this. Nobody talks about the failures and man, I failed so many times in my life and then those failures just totally help you bounce back and become stronger and wiser. You learn so much more from those. Yeah, than the and there's words. no shame to it. Right. Like, big deal, you failed. Mm -hmm. It's almost kind of cool. Right? <laughs> Having yeah. the, like the courage to fail. Yeah. Okay. So moving on, moving back to energy. So when energy started, that was uh, end of so 2010. Yeah. It started as a boot camp. I was renting out a karate studio, mm -hmm. doing a boot camp, and then we opened the space in Tustin at the beginning of 2011. And we were doing everything in the beginning. We were doing yoga and Zumba. Yeah. And boot camp. <laughs> I remember. And Remember Krizia? I was like, you have to meet Krizia. She has the best energy ever. What a firecracker. Krizia was amazing. She was amazing. She still is amazing. Right? Yeah, yeah she's killing it right now. She's up north, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we did that, and you were originally teaching yoga. Do you remember when we yep. introduced Bar? I do remember that moment because I was like, I, I just moved back from Los Angeles, and I was taking Bar Method. Mm -hmm. But I was saying that after bar method, I'd need to like loosen it up and go to a Zumba class. And then I said, hey, we should bring some form of bar because I don't think there's anything here yet other than cardio bar out mm -hmm. in Costa Mesa. Mm -hmm. And you're like, okay, go do it. And I was like, what do you mean go do it? You're, you said go explore it and see what you could come back with. Mm -hmm. So I remember I explored it and everything out there was if you learned through their franchise, you had to only teach at their franchise. Right. So what I decided to do was take a bunch of classes at all these different studios, use like my yoga foundation, and then bring that Zumba energy to create what we created. Mm -hmm. So I remember you said, all right, create it. And I was like, okay. And then we did like our first pop-up. I don't know. I don't know how we did our first intro class. We did it. Did we do a teacher training then, or was that later? That was later. Okay. Because there was no <laughs> right, no takers yet. I right. had to convince people. Right. So first we had we just said bar. We introduced bar on the schedule. Yes. And I just remember cranking up the volume. Always. And it was lots of pitbull because at the time he was really, really popular. I still love pitbull, man. I know. I know. What's that song about, about Polaroids? Oh. Take a picture of that with a Polaroid. Polaroid yeah. <laughs> Um, right. So he was, so it was lots of Pitbull, lots of Jennifer Lopez. It was just really a, and then we were doing bar. Like we were at the ballet bar doing like plies and, and grand plies and batmas and piques to like this crazy music mm -hmm. and Tiesto and David mm -hmm. Guetta. So 
suddenly it was like this like mashup of fitness genres. Right. And we started getting more people in the door and more people in the door. And before I knew it, it was less fitness and yoga and just bar. Mm. That's how I remember. And then it just took a shape of its own. We started training some of our students that were really good or had dance background. Mm -hmm. I remember, uh, so we, it got to a point where the studio growth kind of fizzled. So the studio got put on the map because we did a Living Social deal yes. right after we opened. So this was back when Groupon and Living Social were exploding in popularity. There yeah. was, it, you couldn't even get them on the phone. It was like a waiting list to get involved. Yeah. So we did a Living Social deal yeah, that yeah. sold like a thousand, which was a lot at the time. Uh-huh. So that put us on the map. And after, I don't know, a couple of years, it became clear that we were trying to do everything with one small room. So it was like we were trying to do yoga and bar and Zumba. And knockout. And knockout. And it was people wanted to do, like if they loved yoga. Yeah. They would want to come, they would eventually end up going to a yoga studio because they would have more yoga on the schedule. If they loved a bar, they'd end up wanting to go to a bar studio because they could have more options for bar. Yeah. So we said, okay, let's pick one. And bar had become the kind of, you know, the most popular, the most right. successful. And this is when bar was on a big upswing in the country. Right. There was more franchises coming to Orange County. And you had created kind of a fusion that was lacking from other options so we had something really unique to build upon yeah when we started building out the team i think if i'm remembering correctly we would try to we started out saying let's find people with a ballet background and it definitely helps to have a ballet background mm -hmm. but what became apparent that i still use in my other types of work is it's better to find people who have the right energy. Yes. No pun intended. And train them on technique. Yeah. Because what makes people excellent teachers is like the energy they bring to the class and the connection they build with their students. Yes. Not are they technically excellent if somebody had a scorecard for perfect plie. Yeah. That was a big like unlock once we figured out, okay, let's just hire people who are students who have a good vibe. Yes. And we can train them on the rest. Big time. And they all built their own little followers. I mean, we mm -hmm. had some incredible teachers. So you're right. It was, it was, cause it wasn't a proper ballet class. So if anybody came for true ballet, they'd be disappointed. Yeah. Cause suddenly you're doing like PKs at like rapid pace <laughs> and no ballet class teaches. It's like classical, it's different. Yeah. Um, the energy was really important. I I think it was like the most special form of fitness because you got everything you, your whole body was covered top to bottom. Mm -hmm. You got your heart rate going mm -hmm. and then we would slow you down for some toning mm -hmm. and then we'd get the core hardcore mm -hmm. and that was it. And then you were done and then we'd stretch it out. Yeah. So it was like in that 60 minutes, everything was accomplished. So that's why people kept coming back day after day after day. Right. Because they felt like, okay, I'm going to get my cardio. I feel like I'm at the club. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm getting that music, the endorphins. Then suddenly, like, you feel graceful. Mm -hmm. You're getting your posture fixed. You're doing some toning. And then, you know, it's just, it was a 
perfect total body workout. And the social aspect, I think, was important for people. It's so important because you met like-minded, fun people. They weren't mm -hmm. going to like any other fitness place for other reasons. They were coming to this class for some one reason or the, the other. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of them wanted to just have fun. Right. And work out. And yeah. so we for 12 years, I feel like yes. this was going strong. Right. Because I think I've been a teacher for 12 years now. Yeah. And so to as a boutique studio with just one location, mm -hmm. to have that kind of longevity is like a five star right. A plus right. situation. Yes. Yeah. I would advise anybody who's thinking of opening a gym to don't open a gym from a business perspective. Yeah. I'll say it is great to have a home base if you can like build an online audience and sell other things. Right. My experience running a gym is that uh, you're competing with people who don't need to make money because uh, other people who are opening boutique studios you know they have other sources of income and the way to make an, a profit instead of just scraping by is to have ancillary products and services to have like uh right do personal training right. to sell online courses to sell nutrition plans you yeah. have to have ancillary services so a boutique gym could be a base to operate your other income sources out of but it's not a yeah. great place to operate as a standalone business yeah which you learned you know that took mm -hmm. time and we kept it alive and it supported itself but it couldn't support a growing family's you totally. know needs totally. yeah <laughs> but it was i mean it was a great spot the, the, i think you got to look at it as like the impact it the, was an amazing opportunity to meet so many people in the community yeah i've learned a lot about business obviously as we said you learn more from failures than successes right and although i wouldn't even call it a failure no no way huge success 12 years running yeah boutique mm -hmm in the heart of orange county where there's other options for people like multiple options mm -hmm. it wasn't like only one or two places they people could go and we were one of the two totally. <laughs> there was 25 other studios within like 10 miles right so we stayed alive for a long time and the, the teachers we we brought on like amazing yes you know Gosh like darn covid got us covid messed it up i know what do you do now for to get a workout in i know i miss teaching for sure i miss teaching but i don't think that feeling that i got with energy and our team will ever be replicated mm. so i almost want to keep it special and tucked away yeah um and not push it anywhere else to try and feel that feeling again yeah this it was like a time in life yes so that's gone but now i'm back to being a student mm-hmm so I'm a student. I take lots of Pilates classes. I, I lift weights, which I never wanted to do. And now I'm like, oh, fine. I'll go and go in this like gnarly facility that's not pretty at all, right. not welcoming at all. And just like do these reps with these heavy, ugly machines. But I know yeah. it's good for me, so I'll do it. But yeah, more. I'm just Pilates and weightlifting. I wish I could do Zumba again. Yeah. I wish I could teach bar again, get that cardio, a lot of uphill walks. Mm -hmm. So like back to that extroverted introvert, like the person who loved teaching and being around all these people, I suddenly just want to walk by myself. Heather, 
Heather from Energy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I go to her yoga class now. Right. And uh, actually, I ran into Sarah there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like a week ago. Sarah, she's come up like three times, four times already in our podcast. Right. Sarah's like the pseudo test mayor of testing. <laughs> Her husband owns the Lost Bean Coffee Shop, which now has multiple locations in Orange County. She and her family own the best Greek restaurant. So shout out to Christakis, right? Yes, please. I mean, I've been to Greece. I promise you the food at Christakis does not even come close. Nico is still the chef there, right? Yeah. Or the food in Greece does not come close to Christakis. It's like the best. And so Sarah's you know business is to welcome people into her restaurant so Mm. she ends up meeting almost everybody and anybody Mm -hmm. and because of her so much has happened so um the reason i I mentioned sarah you ran into her yoga ran into her yoga when i was going to heather's class heather also uses walking as a tool for for exercise but really more for thinking which one what does she use walking she walks. She goes on oh, long walking. walks. Oh, walking. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, I was like, yeah, what's yeah. walking? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, is that the form of yoga? This, I do not know that. Is a franchise? What is it? You <laughs> I was like, the form of Tabata? <laughs> what is this? Okay, um, walking. Yeah, got you. Yeah, she uses walking. Yeah. It's really, really helpful for her. So, yeah. I get that. I get that in a big way. It's so good. I mean, it takes a lot out of you. You're like, okay, I'm going to go for a walk. Mm-hmm. But once you're there and you're like going for it it's so good you feel it you feel it in your whole body and they say walking is like one of the best um preventions for like alzheimer's dementia mental really? health yeah why do you know i think it's you get to remember stories you get to go back into your past like there's oh. a lot of things that show up when you walk oh interesting it's very cool huh what's next for you what do you what do you hope for the next 10 years um, in terms of let's just go like fitness wise, I hope that we can mm. throw our parties here at the tennis and pickleball club. Oh, we didn't even talk about that. Yeah. Which we would make for a cool opportunity parties. to put a little B-roll over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we started doing the bar in the dark. Awesome party. Halloween bar party. Yeah. At the studio. Yes. Those were super successful. Yeah. And then you want to tell the story of how we morphed from there to here? Yes, the crowd got larger. Right. Then we had this space, and I th- it was uh, after my second child, so eight years ago, I was like ready to come back to bar, mm-hmm. and it was that that was the first party to mm-hmm. come back to. So we threw this. I said, let's do it at the club. We have all this space. It's outdoors. It's evening. We can make it really cool. And of course, Erica was amazing at executing that idea, and she put all of her you know bells and whistles on that party. And we did a great job in terms of the amount of people that showed up that are from Tustin to drive, you know, to Newport on a Friday. Mm -hmm. Not everybody would do that. And I know it's, you know, not that big of a deal, but that 55 freeway, no matter what. It's that's always a big deal. It's gnarly. Right. So we got all these folks out and it was great. And then we kept that party going, which is called Bar in the Dark. And it's outdoor Halloween bar party mm-hmm. with a DJ and lights and music and then it turns into a big old dance party and it's just one of those parties that you never want to miss because it's a memory maker. Right. It is. It's a memory maker. You put on your Halloween makeup, your Halloween costume, you're dancing, you're having fun and it doesn't feel like a fitness class but yet you're sweating. Right. <laughs> At least we are. Totally when we're teaching it. So yeah, it's. I think that's sort of our legacy. Hmm. We might not have a brick and mortar building, mm-hmm. but we do have 
that bar party. Yes. You know, that we should really expand on mm -hmm. and keep at it and like make more collaborative mm -hmm. with the community. Yes. Invite all kinds of folks maybe bring a couple djs to like battle each other mm -hmm. totally. one on each side of the dance floor yes and we're all smashed in the middle like vibing to which dj right bringing live instrument i mean we can really make it amazing event bright to the public mm -hmm. it's going to take some planning but yes. it's worth it if if we can f fulfill ourselves creatively so beyond fitness what do yeah. you what do you hope for yourself for and we were short on time we didn't even get a chance to talk about all the amazing charity work that you do but episode two yeah we'll, oh, we'll dive deep thank you for with charity family community what do you what do you hope what's your what's your direction now you think i think it would be really cool to just be like a philanthropist right that's it. Like, I just want to be, and it, I don't like the connotation. It sounds like old and, <laughs> and like Rockefeller vibes. Not like that, but be known as a philanthropist, mm -hmm. a catalyst, a philanthropist, mm -hmm. something like that, a creator, mm -hmm. a problem solver. Yeah. So I think those are just like titles that I aspire for. Right. So whatever work I can do that leads me in the direction of philanthropy, mm -hmm. I'll continue that whatever work that leads me to keep solving problems and helping with strategy for businesses, for my clients that are donors who want to give strategically, I get to put my legal hat on a little bit and work with them. Um, Actually, let's start briefly. Can we touch on your work with uh, Joy of Giving and Investors Philanthropic and maybe explain what that is? Sure. I'm sorry I didn't save enough time for it. We got, we got so excited. It was on the top of my list, but I got really? so excited talking about all the interface stuff I that know, I used up all our time. Oh my gosh. What, well, sure. Yeah, so what's, what is Investors Philanthropic? So Investors Philanthropic is a 501c3 organization, mm. and it's categorized as a public charity. But what we function as is a donor-advised fund. Donor advised funds are giving vehicles. So for individual donors or families who mm -hmm. want their tax deduction, but they don't have a charity of choice yet, they have that flexibility to donate to a investors philanthropic or Fidelity Charitable or Vanguard Charitable, Schwab Charitable, get their immediate tax deduction mm -hmm. and have it sit and marinate, whether it's in an investment fund or in a just standardized checking account. And when they're ready, they then advise for it to go to any which public charity that's mm. IRS approved and in good standing. Right. It's an organization that allows donors to really be mindful mm -hmm. of how they'd like to be philanthropic mm -hmm. when they have no idea right. where they want to give to yet. Right. A lot of times it's end of the year, you're in a you know, in a position where you need to give so that you don't get taxed. Right. So you just kind of mindlessly check right to whatever organization without truly having a passion for it. Right. So donor advised funds allow you to get that tax deduction mm -hmm. and then have it marinate. Mm -hmm. So you can actually grow it tax free in the stock market. It right. could go into an investment account. You could invest it in Tesla you know, Facebook, Walmart, whatever. And if it grows, it grows tax-free. Nice. So if you start at like a $10,000 donation and you invest it correctly and it grows to 15,000 by the end of the next year, that 5,000 tax growth is a tax-free growth. So now you have 
that 5k you could donate out and leave your 10,000 principal intact hmm. nice. right so it's yeah. a really cool way for people who understand these inner workings to be very mindful and strategic with their philanthropic budget right and I like it because um, it's so clever Mm. It's really a smart way to be yeah. a, a thoughtful donor mm -hmm. when you have a kind of a larger budget. You know, it's if you're like, um, you know, it's not for everybody. Right. But it is for people who have cash windfalls, sell properties or sell some stock or sell, you know, units in an LLC or make high income and they're going to get taxed anyway. Right. So that's investors philanthropic. That's like the black and white part of it joy of giving is our video series mm -hmm. that's really the fun part where I get to go interview business people who are giving back to the community mm -hmm. and then I get to highlight all the different nonprofits that are out there and Orange County is has a plethora of nonprofits we're like huge and I feel like we're one of the largest communities in America Mm -hmm. that that has this um, ethos of giving back mm -hmm. there's so many registered nonprofits within Orange County itself right so um, just constantly learning there's small budgeted ones super large ones and we learn and dissect in terms of like how's their budgeting going what what are their campaigns what are they fundraising for and we use our videography platform joy of giving to learn more about them mm. and more recently our business model has now included hosting benefits for these nonprofits here at the tennis and pickleball club right so if you had a nonprofit and you said hey i want to do a pickleball fundraiser investors philanthropic would power it like we put all the pieces together for you the producers of the events right okay. we we collect you we do your event right we collect your funds we collect your sponsorship ship money we sign the contract for the venue and you so, have relationships with all sorts of vendors and people who can help facilitate this yes yeah. and so you as the nonprofit, really just have to show up and enjoy it and of course add your own bells and whistles and do your decor and make it your own but we help you with like the overall production of your event right and then just by doing that in 2023 I feel like it expanded Investors Philanthropics kind of um, landing in the community. Because mm -hmm. I am competing with financial institutions mm -hmm. like Fidelity and Vanguard Schwab, where people have investment accounts and those accounts do well and they'll get taxed on it. So their advisor will say, okay, just sweep it into our charitable account. Right. That way you'll get your tax deduction. And then it just sits there and it grows. But those donors or those clients aren't being very mindful. Right. They're just happy they got their tax deduction. Right. So we created this boutique donor advised fund that there's these donors that show up and they're like, great, we get our tax deduction and now we get to touch and feel all these different nonprofits. And that's what Joy of Giving does. It kind of created a, a database of all these nonprofits that we've worked for. So you can kind of look through and say, oh, Shark Conservatory, that's great. I'm interested in that. Right. Or, you know, buying kids uh, shoes for Shoes That Fit, which is a great organization, by the way, like giving them shoes at Christmas time. And we have this database now. What would be your, what type of organizations do you personally like to support the most? Like, is there, like, what criteria do you use for your own personal kind of, yeah. this is who I want to support? Oh my gosh, there's so many. And that's the problem, like when you learn about all the varieties you feel sort of bad like how do i support that one and be like all in yeah 
as you know, Orangewood is amazing. Totally. And all of these nonprofits need consistency. Mm -hmm. They don't want like a jack of all trades, one time donor and disappear and go somewhere else. Like they rely on donors to come back year after year. Yeah. So now that Joy of Giving has built this database of so many varieties from mental health to cancer awareness to breast cancer, um, inner inner city children's needs from education to shoes to, to Thomas House shelters. Like there's just so many, so many out there. Mm. Chalk Hospital is constantly fundraising. Um, what speaks to me, I still haven't found that yet. I, I just think kids, anytime I hear kids suffering mm -hmm. gets me but i feel like because we are a donor advice fund we have to just cast our net wide right there's just there's not one particular cause it'd be almost unethical to like take too much of a side on yeah you have to just support a variety of nonprofits. right um which kind of is good for somebody like me it kind right. of goes back to like faith traditions i don't really you know it bothers me to just one way yeah. There's so many different ways, but I do want to make an impact. And sometimes, you know, you can't really make an impact if you're spread, spread too thin. Absolutely. So it takes the community and different donors to get together and believe in a cause and push that cause forward. Mm. Um, and there's just so many causes. And as long as they're all being fed and well-funded, then I feel good that, yeah. that it's moving forward. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of components to that too, because you have to make sure people aren't, you know, running a nonprofit's not easy. It's like running a corporation, yeah. right? So people have to get paid. People have to, it's all of that is part of the, the, it's like a normal business, except it has a nonprofit status, but it's still run like a business. Got expenses. There's and... operating budgets, you know, qualified people to help run it, it hiring the correct admin. So. Sometimes nonprofits get scrutinized, like, oh, the executive director is getting paid way too much, or they have a huge operating budget, so it doesn't completely get to where it needs to get. You know, what they say their mission is, it doesn't necessarily reach. So I feel like they get scrutinized unfairly sometimes. But that's like the fine line when you're running a nonprofit is right. how much should the operating budget be mm -hmm. and how much actually gets back to the final result of helping whatever your mission is right there's one that's called free wheelchair mission mm -hmm. i don't know if you've heard of that one i think so it sounds familiar oh my god what an incredible they're all incredible organizations but this one like you see the actual wheelchairs being made mm -hmm. and they have they manufacture here in orange county and then it gets delivered to different parts of the world mm -hmm. to people who are immobile and when you see that kind of result and impact, you're like, I want to support that. Right. So I think at the end, it's about the impact and what you see. So that's sort of where I'm at with that. Hmm. Yeah, there goes a ball. <laughs> that's funny. Okay, well, thank you for taking the time to sit down with me. This has been really, really great. Thank you so much. This is what you're doing. Awesome. I appreciate you. You're going to meet so many cool people and get inspired. And you're going to teach all of us how to just be more creative and and go for our fulfilling our dreams so thank you okay well talk soon talk soon buddy okay <laughs>